And so today's reading then is found on page 122. Oh, and another thing I want to show you, there's like a watermark in the front of each of these, a, a embossed watermark. It's a little hard to read in some, uh, but it says Shiloh United Methodist Church, Jasper, Indiana, established 1986, ex tunc solo deo gloria. You know what that means? From the beginning, for the glory of God. And that is exactly how we want it to be. So let's read now from Leviticus chapter 25, starting at verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruits. But in the seventh year, there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for, a la for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap what grows of itself in your harvest or gather the grapes of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. The Sabbath of the land shall provide food for you, for yourself and for your male and female slaves and for your hired worker and the sojourner who lives with you, and for your cattle and for the wild animals that are in your land. Its yield, all its yield shall be for food. You shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. Then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land, and you shall consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. When each of you shall return to his property, and each of you shall return to his clan, that 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of itself, nor gather the grapes from the undressed vines. For it is a jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You may eat the produce of the field. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Keep your Bibles open. We'll have a little something else to look at in a moment. So... Last summer, I preached a series of messages from the book of Leviticus covering the topic of the Jubilee. You may remember that from back in the July uh, months and August months of last year as I was coming in as your new pastor. And you'll remember that the word Jubilee is actually derived from a Hebrew word that means trumpet blast of liberty or shout for joy. So when we were reading that verse 12, for example, it says, for it is a jubilee, it shall be holy to you. It might be better to hear it as, for it is a trumpet blast of joy. It is a shout for joy that is sacred and holy to you. And this word is literally meant to express the feeling that you have when you realize that all your debts have been canceled. Would anybody here do a happy dance if you found out that all of your debts had been canceled? Yeah? 
If you were serving another person to work off your debt, because that's really what it means by slaves in this case. It's people who are not so much slaves, but indentured servants. It means that they are, they are working off their debt. Wouldn't it be wonderful if somebody said, you're free, your debt's canceled. That's why it's a shout for joy, because God has made provision for people to return home, return to what was theirs before they lost it through bad business dealings or whatever, kind of like what happened to Elimelech in the story of Ruth. And so here we find in this sermon series that I preached last year, the reality that God means for us to take a break once in a while. Now, our situation is not like theirs in the most literal sense, but it really was an opportunity for us to think about the ways in which we were being held captive and the ways in which we were holding others captive. And I used it in the context of Shiloh as the entity. In other words, it was the nation of Israel in the Bible, but for us, it was Shiloh. And I mentioned to you last year that we were, in many ways, as a church, under the oppression of unanswered debt. That is to say that we had differences and grievances that needed to be settled and put behind us. We had history that hurt, and we needed to forget about it. We needed to let the land rest for a while so we could just put some of these painful things behind us and move forward to stop grieving and to re restore and rest. And so the idea behind the Jubilee as it was preached to you last year was that we might really refocus our energy on the same proclamation that Joshua made when he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so I declared that we would have a year of Jubilee starting the first of last September, and that during that year of Jubilee, we would rest, that we would repent, that we would restore relationships where they could be restored, and we would then return home, that is to say, come back to our roots, so we harvested the last of the crops that had, planted, had been planted before the Jubilee Sabbath. We then repented of our sin because in order to cancel debts that are especially of an emotional sort, we have to be willing to repent for the ways in which we've held others captive with our anger. You know, if you think about it, when a person is angry, they are expecting somebody to repay them for whatever is owed them. You know, it feels like somebody owes me something and I'm mad because I don't think they're going to give it to me. And the best thing you can do for your own personal healing is to forgive the debt, to cancel the debt, to say, you know what, you don't owe me anything. I forgive you. I'm putting this behind me. And so this is what we meant when we said we were canceling debts as a church. We were simply saying, we're not going to stay upset or angry anymore about the things that troubled us so much back then. And so we canceled those debts that we felt were owed to us, and then we repented of the ways in which we had been wrong and the ways in which we had wronged others in the ways of argument and disagreement and that sort of thing. Then we made it our mission to simply do nothing, to plant nothing new, to not invent anything new. We 
deliberately made the decorations somewhat austere and less imaginative. We interpreted our various seasons of the church through a minimalistic point of view. We were just trying to take it easy and rest. And then after repenting and resting, we also focused on restoration and returning home. We restored by taking on whatever relationships were open to us in order that we might re re renew the passion and the love of Christ that was in our hearts. So we focused on a lot of family building exercises. Of course, we played together, we ate together, and then we ate some more. And then we played some more, and we just worshiped with all our hearts, and we just tried to enjoy each other. It was sort of like a year-long Labor Day weekend, just hanging out. And that's what we did on purpose. And the idea was to rebuild the sense of family in the church, to rebuild the sense of unity that comes in family, where we don't always agree, we don't always see eye to eye, but we're family, so we're patient and long-suffering and forgiving and merciful to one another. And so our Jubilee Sabbath year was like that. We proclaimed good news to the poor. We tried to bind up the brokenhearted. We tried to proclaim freedom to the captives. And we tried to welcome those who were sojourners in our midst. We recognized that even while we were resting and not developing new programs and things, we were still responsible for caring for the stranger in our midst. So when new people came around, we welcomed them and we treated them like family and we embraced them and we shared whatever harvest God would provide for us. It was a season of returning to the roots. That's why this statement in Latin in the front of our Bible says, from the beginning for the glory of God, reminding ourselves that when this church began, it was meant to be for the glory of God. It was meant to be in order to serve others in the name of God. And so we're returning to our roots while we watch for where God is at work in our midst so that when this Sabbath ends, we could join God in whatever God is doing. That was the idea behind this year of Jubilee. We weren't idle. But we weren't doing anything new either. We were simply taking care of business and healing from broken hearts and restoring relationships where they could be restored. And so, what do we do now? What do we do now that our year of Jubilee is up? Well, Jesus, or excuse me, the Lord said in the, in, uh, the next verses, verses 18 to uh, 22 in the same chapter of Leviticus, you are to keep my statutes and carefully observe my judgments so that you may dwell securely in the land. Then the land will yield its fruit so that you can eat your fill and dwell in safety in the land. Now you may wonder, what will we eat in the seventh year if we do not sow or gather our produce? But I will send my blessing upon you in the sixth year so that the land will yield a crop sufficient for three years. While you are sowing in the eighth year, you will be eating from the previous harvest until the ninth year when its harvest comes in. Do you understand what that means? It means that if we choose not to plant anything new, then when we go back into the fields in the marketplace, what will we eat? The question is asked. And the Lord says, I'll go you one further than that. Not only will you have plenty of food in the eighth year, but you'll have enough to get you through to the end of the ninth year. So the Lord promises that we will get an abundant harvest 
from his table until we reach the point where our work is sufficient to provide for us once again. Could I be so bold as to tell you that the Lord has done amazing and miraculous things here at this church over the last year? When I came here last year, there was justifiable anxiety about the finances. There was plenty of reason to wonder whether we were going to be financially stable for the coming year. There were other areas of discontent and frustration and misinformation and things that just didn't add up and people were anxious and they were worried. And yet I go ahead and say, we're taking a year to rest and do nothing. Didn't make any sense. Could I tell you a little secret? Whenever you want to know where God is at work in your midst, look for something that doesn't make sense that's being provided and provisioned in a way that can only be explained by miracle. The fact is, is at this point, and actually within the first six months of our Jubilee Sabbath, we found ourselves in strong financial health. We found that our finances were restored and rebounded beautifully. We found that there was an efficiency of effort and an economy of what we were doing so that we're actually growing modestly and steadily every month in our financial health in this church. We've seen our in attendance increase steadily for the last year and especially in the last six months. We have seen increased activity, not by sowing anything new, but simply by returning home and seeing each other as family once again, so that we can already tell that the Lord of the harvest is providing for us while we do nothing. Isn't that awesome? And so the question really isn't so much, how is it gonna work out, but what are we gonna do? Now that we're going into the marketplace and we're going into the fields once again, intentionally, what will we do? Do you have a plan? I happen to know that your staff and your lay leadership has a plan. We've been watching for where God is at work and we are sure now that we know where to join God in it. And we discussed that in a recent meeting of the executive staff of the church that I'd like you to observe right now on the screen. So now that the Jubilee year of Sabbath rest is over, I'm wondering what you all are planning to plant. I want to plant a new paradigm. There are two dimensions to the church. There's the spiritual dimension, there's the business dimension. And in my mind, the biblical uh, scriptures as well as Jesus' teachings talk about the need for the business side to be touched and addressed in the appropriate way. I think that there's been a paradigm in the church here that has ignored the business side. Uh, that paradigm needs to change. Uh, we can no longer just afford to simply rely upon keeping the lights on, so to speak. We need to move forward and we need to manage the business side. Yeah, as far as things with education right now, uh, it's been a lot of fun with uh, separating the different age groups into different things that we've been doing. Uh, our elementary is going to be changing as well as we have our middle school groups that's going to be changing. And right now we're really trying to intentionally focus on specific age groups with different tactics. Uh, so Sunday mornings our structure is going to be different starting in September. We've already got education that's been looking into that. And as far as with our middle school and high school groups, we're planning on middle school and high school hangouts which will be designed for those groups specifically. 
with music and worship, I want to make sure, I want to plant uh, a lot more worship-filled experiences. So whether that be uh, through prayer or through media or through more worship music, um, anything to do with elevating our worship services to a 30 instead of a 5. For missions and outreach, I would like to first and foremost plant an awareness of the organizations in our community that really need our help. Um, they're already doing awesome things, and so it would be good that we can go alongside of them and help them financially if they need volunteers, and then also to um, plant a passion to serve our community so that for the congregation that we can really go out and be disciples. And then lastly, a desire to connect volunteers to wherever God is leading them to serve. At Promised Land Preschool, my goal this year is to plant the Holy Spirit and faith and community into all the little children that we that we develop into wonderful citizens. Great. And for the overall ministry of the church, I'm looking for discipleship to be the number one thing that I plant. I want people to be uh, informed about Scripture in a relationship with God through the Holy Spirit, and then in so doing that they would be disciples on the move so that they're in engagement with the community, starting inside the church with caring ministries to the people who are part of this church community, uh, welcoming ministries to those who wish to be a part of it, and then outreach and service ministry in every form imaginable, in every media available to us in this community so that we are a vital part of the well-being of the community. So the question now is, so what's that look like at the end of the season? For me, it looks like everyone collectively in the, in, in the aggregate, they're not only embracing, but they're living and practicing four core values. And there are the four S's as I refer to them. It starts with stewardship, followed by sustainability, followed by service and then safety. And that's not just safety of our human people and so forth, that's safety in terms of protecting the assets that we've been blessed with. Yeah, with our elementary kids, we're really wanting to have something that they just enjoy. And, and so we, we want to see the excitement of attic, like when they go to their attic service for the second service, we want to see that excitement all the time. We want to have parts of our, our worship and our singing that's incorporated with what we're doing. And we've already seen that with Vacation Bible School. And so we're basically creating a Vacation Bible School-like experience all the time for our younger ministries. With our older kids' ministry, with our middle school and high school students, we're really looking for having discipleship being a big part of it. It's a relationship with God, relationship with leaders, relationship with others. And that's really all what that's going to be about. Awesome. So in music and worship, that'll look a lot more like going out into the community. Uh, the Yaw Band is already going out into the community and reaching people um, on a different level, not just performing, but worshiping and spreading that good news. With media, I'm hoping to revamp a little bit of things throughout the whole church, but mostly in the worship spaces. And finally, with our actual worship services, I'm hoping to add more prayer, more intimacy, more leadership with with us within the worship services as well so looking at things like that when it comes to what the harvest will look like um, with
with outreach and missions, harvest time is more sporadic because we're going to be going out into the communities all the time. So um, I'm really hoping that through our volunteers going out that then they can plant those seeds out into the community. So, you know, it starts with me trying to get them connected and then they go out and they plant their seeds in the community and that way that people in the community will know Shiloh by our love and our action. And so then by us being disciples and then seeking disciples that we can change the world as your vision says and so by being obedient to God that things can change and be awesome. Amen. At Promised Land um, I want to enrich and develop. We want to have a whole child that is prepared to function in today's world through through their faith and um, because we just don't teach um, you know reading and writing we just don't work on that. We want to also develop have a true faith and um, love and um, community, and that's the result is a whole child, a whole person. Well, so for me, the harvest is going to produce leaders. Uh, in a way, I'm the only one who sort of broke the Sabbath and continued to sow, but I sowed the seeds among you. My, my work this last year has been with you as the leaders in the staff and with some of our key lay leaders. And I'm already seeing that harvest in the very visions that you've expressed today. I plan to continue to sow leadership, to develop a leadership paradigm in the church that is apostolic in model, that it looks like the 12 apostles working together to create the ministry and vision that was given them by Christ himself and the Holy Spirit enabled. So those are the things that I want to plant most immediately. I'd like to eventually see us harvest strong lay leaders in all of the subcategories. So for each of the things that you have mentioned, I would love for you to be able to tell me a year from now that you have six or eight key leaders who have spawned six or eight. This is one of those multi-level marketing things that I'm okay with, you know. That's the kind of thing that I'd like to see us harvest next year. So the last question then is, is, what are you going to need in order to see your uh, harvest come to pass? For me, I need to see everyone totally engaged in four areas. First of all is planning, both strategic and tactical, followed by execution. Whatever we plan to do and whatever we agree to do, we have to execute it flawlessly. Uh, then we have to make sure that we maintain engagement. And then finally, we need to go back and reassess and so forth and communicate and then collaborate on what the next right answer is. Making sure that we stay on top of, of everything from a business standpoint. Otherwise, that change in the paradigm, it's going to be on sand rather than being built upon rock. You know, we've, we're already working on having more volunteers added to our initial education team. Uh, our education team when we first started was rather small. And now we just recently had a meeting where we had several people that were hesitant at one time, one time to even get involved, and now they're passionately leading and suggesting ideas to our group. And so we want to have more people that are specifically targeted towards specific age groups. So I'd like to have a team that's dedicated towards middle school students, a team that's dedicated towards high school students. We're not trying to have them do everything. We want them to do one thing well, and that's where we're going. That's what we need. Uh, worship and music we need prayer and we need trust 
and encouragement and financial support <laughs> and uh, the willingness to step out of our comfort zones and to really be engulfed in Christ's love and, and just support in general. Uh, for missions, well, I was gonna steal some of those. Good, steal them. That's um, perfect. Missions, we need we need prayer too, um, just to know where God is guiding the church to go, and then um, we need we need volunteers because we want to be out in the community. But if we don't have volunteers, then we can't necessarily be out in the community. So we need people to to help us do that, um, and then it would be good. If people have certain passions, it would be cool to get them connected. Um, you know, how can we get them connected to those places out in the community? So, and then, um, you know, if they have passions to uh, to serve God and love others and grow, we want that. So, that's well, in Promised Land, of course, we need volunteers. We need church volunteers, parents. We need um, my dedicated staff to be able to implement what we're doing um, for this result of having a whole child. Um, we need to, with the staff and this help, they need to enhance worship time, devotion for the, for the children, so it is something that is fun and they love and they can't wait to go to. And so we want to be able to enhance that for all of our students. But we need those volunteers and we need um, dedicated people. Well, what I need is you reproduced. I need for each of you to make people like yourselves a part of what you're doing so that we have dedicated, passionate people like you doing things that are part of your leadership. And so I want to say to the ones who are listening and watching, if God is stirring your heart right now, if you're feeling like there's more to your relationship with God than a couple of hours a week at church. We need you. And that's what I need more than anything is disciples who are crazy about Jesus. I want to thank John DeHonich for making that video for us. And, uh, just want to conclude by saying, you know, you see now that we planned and we thought as we had observed the Lord in action, and now we're putting it in front of you and saying, here we go. Will you come with us? Your staff, your awesome Shiloh staff has a plan and they're working the plan to go into the fields and the marketplace and to sow something new and to reap something wonderful that is glorifying to God and your silo lay leadership is doing the same. So the question now is, what will you do? What will you sow in the fields and the marketplaces this year that is fruitful and honoring to God? And what will that look like? And what will you need in the way of provision? You want to know a secret to how you can tell where God is at work? The provision's always there. He always gives you the provision where he wants you to work. And so look for where God is at work. So it is my pleasure right now to declare officially Jubilee Sabbath at Shiloh is over. It's time to go into the fields and the marketplace. Our Sabbath rest is at an end officially right now.
One way we can ratify that covenant together then is through the covenant of Holy Communion. And so today, as we join together at the Lord's table, remembering his eternal covenant with us that brings our salvation and hope and the very thing that we celebrate and do as God's uh, ventures in the marketplace is celebrated in this covenant relationship. So remember that Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, all who earnestly repent, and who seek peace with one another. In other words, the, tradition, the traditional liturgy of the church suggests that the very things we did intentionally during our Sabbath rest are prerequisites for coming to the Lord's table. Repentance and peace with one another. Remember that on the night in which Jesus gave himself up for us. He took the bread, gave thanks to God, and broke the bread and gave it to his disciples and said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then remember that when supper was over, Jesus took the cup and gave thanks to God the Father, gave it to his disciples and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is the blood of the new covenant. Pour out poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, our Lord's mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. Now listen to these traditional words of the liturgy in light of what we've been talking about this morning. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. And by the Lord's Spirit, make us one with Christ and one with each other and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at the heavenly banquet. Through Lord Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit and in the Holy Church, all honor and glory goes to God our Father now and forever. Amen.